0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we know and understand that every jot and tittle and punctuation mark and sentence and word uh, is inspired by God and is is, uh, infallible, inerrant, incapable of errant. Uh, of errancy, Lord. And so we pray that as we go through it, Lord, that our hearts would be conformed to your word. Lord, that our lives and our practices and even our culture would be shaped by your word rather than this precious word that you have being tainted by our experiences, Lord, or by the culture around us. And so, Lord, would you just clothe us in holiness? Would you clothe us In Christ, would you pour out your spirit upon us and give us boldness to be pure in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, Lord. Speak your truth into our hearts and may we obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote in a book, try to imagine that you were transported to another world. Everywhere you looked, there were pictures of beef. Cuts of beef, displays of ribs and pot roast, steaks on billboards, buses, magazines, TV. Everyone speaking on the radio is speaking about some cut of beef. After that experience, you come to the conclusion that this culture of this world was completely and totally obsessed with beef. We'll transpose that to this culture today. Something that is displayed everywhere you look. Every billboard, you know, nearly every billboard, every bus, every website, you know, every blog, you know, everywhere you look, TV shows. There's there's something that just is constantly being pressed into us. It's something that it's obvious that our society and our culture is obsessed with, and of course we know that that would be sex, something that our culture is completely and totally obsessed with. The National Council on Sexual Addiction Compulsivity estimated that six to eight percent of Americans are sex addicts, which is sixteen to twenty-one point. 5 million Americans. This number includes young people. 61% of all high school seniors have had sexual intercourse. About half of those are still sexually active and 21% have had four or more partners. Adolescents have the highest sexually transmitted disease rate. Approximately one out of four sexually active adolescents become infected with an STD each year for a total of three million adolescents infected every year. People under the age of 25 account for two thirds of all STD cases in the United States. By their graduation dates, students will have watched 15,000 hours of television compared to only 12,000 hours within the classroom. While watching TV, these students will see 14,000 sexual references a year with only 165 of those occasions encouraging birth control, self-control, abstinence, or mentioning anything about the risk of pregnancy or STDs. As we look at this culture that is obsessed with sex, we as Christians must ask, Is sexual sin really the issue or does it go deeper than that? You know, every man and every woman is a worshiper of someone or something. And we're going to worship someone or something. And I believe that our culture has turned because they've been lied to. They've turned from worshiping the living God who created the heavens and the earth, who even created sex And they've turned to worship a lie given to us by our culture. They've turned to worship sexual activity outside of marriage. As we look here in Acts chapter 15, verse 28 through 29, the long story culminates down to a letter being sent out from the authorities in Jerusalem pleading with people to abstain from certain things. And as we read there in chapter 15, verse 28 says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. We just finished studying that a couple weeks ago and we've been into Acts chapter 16 now and we see that Paul, Timothy, and Silas have been spreading uh, this letter that ends and concludes with that statement throughout the missionary journey. They've been spreading this abroad, that it's not by works of our righteousness that we're saved. It's not by circumcision that we're saved. It's not by the keeping of the law of Moses that we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But they say, hey, but can we just ask you this? For love's sake, for sensitivity to the other brothers around you sake man be sensitive and abstain from eating things offered to idols because that's going to stumble your your new jewish christian brothers that stumbles them so abstain from that abstain from eating things that have been strangled and abstain from drink you know eating blood because that's just it's a stumbling block okay and and that's a that's an issue of sensitivity to other brothers we see that throughout the rest of the scripture first corinthians 8 romans chapter 14 you see that you know what really Uh, You know, it's just meat you can eat the meat and and the outside. There's nothing wrong with it It's just meat. Okay, but for conscience sake be sensitivity to those around you But there is one thing that's written in this letter that is not something based upon sensitivity or or, you know Just be sensitive to those around you Uh, But it's something that is it's once for all believers and that is abstinence from sexual immorality in thought and in deed And as we study this today, man, we just pray, Lord Jesus, help us understand the deep significance of this sin, the deep significance of sexual immorality. Lord, help us to understand the forgiveness that comes through what you've done on the cross when you shed your blood to forgive us so that we wouldn't need to shed our blood. And Lord Jesus, help us understand the transformation that comes through the gospel in our lives that is marked by holiness and is marked by worship. To understand this sin of sexual immorality, we've got to go clear back to the beginning to creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we read of the first marriage. That marriage was created and given by God for us to enjoy. That these bodies between a husband and a wife were given for us to enjoy. That intimacy was given to us, to, to husbands and to wives to enjoy. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God created male and female. He created their bodies. He, he created the enjoyment. He created marriage. He created marriage to be with one man and one woman for one lifetime. He created it to be enjoyed in nakedness and without shame. He created it to be something that would be fruitful and that sex within marriage would be fruitful and cause multiplication. Then comes Genesis chapter three with the fall and with sin, where that nakedness that was once pure, holy, and not even a second thought was accompanied by shame and hiding. And the rest of Genesis is marked by every sexual sin that you can imagine, Sexual sin just ensues through incest and polygamy and homosexuality and fornication. Lust completely dominates the book of Genesis. Gender and sexuality and other issues have been affected because of Genesis chapter 3, because of sin, because of a perversion of God's creation brought about by sin. Now, in 2011, we are all members of generations that have been inclu- uh, incredibly affected by the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 1970s. Such studies of that by Alfred Kinsey in his report, uh, scientific, I use in quotes, he created this scientific report. Now, let's real quick look at Alfred Kinsey. He was basically a pervert who gave himself to homosexuality and pedophilia and says it's statistically common and normal in his studies, quote, unquote. Since then, and since he's died, his studies have all been dismissed because it's been realized his test groups were all inmates, prostitutes, and deviations that were away from the normal average American life, the average American populace. But because his studies did get out there, they were legitimizing deviant conduct and behavior. Go and behold, or lo and behold, Alfred Kinsey died at age 62 from a pelvic infection brought on by his crooked and perverse sexual practices. Alfred Kinsey created the Kinsey Institution, which brought about our modern sex ed programs for public school. To learn more about him today, I just, I, I googled Alfred Kinsey and went to the main website for the Alfred Kinsey Institution and Perversion. Perversion, that's all I can say. The co-founder of his institution and the first president, Mary Calderon, said this, a new stage of evolution is breaking across the horizon. And the task of educators is to prepare children to, quote, step into the new world. To do this, they must pry children away from old views and values, insert parents and children and church, parents and church, especially from biblical and other traditional forms of sexual uh, morality, for religious laws or rules about sex were made on the basis of ignorance. She said, we are going to prepare children to be more sexual. To do that, we must separate them from the church and the family, and we must introduce sex education into the public school system. This radical revolutionary change of sex ed in the 60s and 70s has affected every single one of us who's been educated since then in the public school system. The first donor to the Kinsey Institute was Playboy's Hugh Hefner. Go figure that he would make investments into his kingdom by warping women's minds to have a a wrong view of sex and to sell their bodies. That he could make billions of dollars. He could make his fortune. The American culture in 2011, we are a result of this experiment on sexuality that is completely tragic. And as you look at Kinsey's background, you see, man, he's a, uh, an evolutionist and a, and a biologist that is a zoologist. And obviously he used that thought that we are just animals to shape his view of sexuality. Really, when you look at this, there's really only two religions in the world. It comes down to this. There's Christianity and there's idolatry. There's Christianity and there's sex, which is idolatry. Sex has become its own religion. It encompasses all of our life. People identify who they are by being gay, straight, swinger, or polygamist. In fact, even on our social networking sites on Facebook, you know, just underneath your age and birthday and hometown and school you attended, there's your sexual orientation where you can click on straight, gay, bi, confused, experimenting, whatever it is that you want to put, and you're just part of this social network where anything goes. And you know what? We're in the same situation that the people in Paul's day were in, where anything goes. People devote themselves in this religion of sex to causes, to parades, to pride days, to websites and blogs and gatherings and fundraising and devotion to get these evangelistic crusades going that will convert people to their sexual causes just like any religion. And why is sex so popular of a religion? Why is it a popular religion? Why do people adhere to things sexually? Why are they devoted to things sexually? Because it all goes back to the beginning. God created us to enjoy sex, but God created us to enjoy it within the boundaries of marriage and that of a man and a woman. Dr. Steven Ardenberg, who's a Christian counselor, wrote that sex is one of the most intense human experiences. He writes a little bit physiologically what happens, and I'm going to spare that for the younger ears here, but he goes on to say, during sex, a chemical is released into the brain called opion, and apart from a heroin-induced experience, nothing is more pleasurable than sex. The only thing similar chemically or physically is heroin. Now this is wonderful, he writes, Stephen Ardenberg, this is wonderful in a marriage relationship because it bonds two people together and brings joy to living together and building a relationship and a life and a family together. Then he writes, There can be a downside to the pleasure of sex, however. If sexual sin happens outside of marriage and is constantly repeated, a sex act can become an addiction. And instead of being bonded to the person, you become bonded to the act itself. And that is why pornography is so dangerous because when that opium is released into the brain, the hormones stamp the images into your brain. As one pastor put, it's the harem of the brain that you can go to anytime you want pleasure outside of a marriage relationship can be brought up whenever you want. Now, lust, it it speaks of a strong, passionate desire or yearning for pleasure. It speaks of delight. And that can be a good thing within a marriage relationship that you have this strong yearning and pleasure and desire for your spouse. But if it's for anything outside of your marriage, if it's for a person or a thing or an experience, then it is idolatry. And it's outside of God's boundaries of marriage. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, not only is full on physically committing adultery with another man's wife, sin and adultery, but he says lusting after a woman in your own heart is the same thing. It's the same thing. And so... This letter goes out from the early church to be given to every church. And here we are for the last few weeks, having studied this letter, we read it and we apply it to our life that we should abstain from sexual immorality. It's another word. Another word for sexual immorality would be fornication. In the Greek, it's the word pornea, pornea. Pornea. Does that root of that word sound familiar? Of course, it's where we get the word pornography. Now, pornea for sexual immorality, it's kind of, I like how one pastor put it, it's a junk drawer term where every form of sexual behavior outside of marriage is put into this drawer. It's put into this drawer homosexuality, bisexuality, bestiality, adultery, fornication, rape, pornography, polygamy, prostitution, pedophilia, friends with benefits, incest, you name it, it goes in this drawer. If it's anything besides intimacy between a husband and a wife, it is sexual immorality. It is fornication. It is pornea. And I love that God gave us that word, pornia, that junk drawer term, because he knew man. He knew that if there was a specific list of things that you weren't supposed to do, that man in their wickedness would create something else. I remember my grandma, she was something like 49 years old or something. It was after World War II, you know, they'd been through the war and everything. And she heard about homosexuality. And she's like, that doesn't happen. You know, she never even heard of that. She's like, well, how could people even think of something like that? You know? And it's, it's true man in their wicked, depraved mind has created evil things to do rather than being obedient to the design that God has created. And man can think, well, you know what, if it's not on that list, then I'm I'm cool. I'm good with God. And God says, "Mm -mm." if it's anything, but Between the bind of a husband and wife, a marriage relationship, it's pornea, it's fornication, it's sexual immorality. It's an epidemic in our culture, it's a disease in our culture, it's causing physical death of individuals, it's causing spread of disease amongst people and children and babies are being born with AIDS because of a lack of self-control because of lack of the presence of the Spirit of God, because of disobedience. It's a disease. It's destroying marriages and homes and businesses and societies. Complete destruction because of this epidemic, this disobedience, pornea. And if you think you're alone, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of... A form of sexual immorality that you've been practicing, just be encouraged in this. You are not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one struggling with that specific sin or that form of sexual immorality. I love that scripture that just tells us, hey, if there's any form of temptation that's overtaken you, it's common to man. It's common to man. In fact, there's probably someone sitting right next to you struggling with the same thing praise the Lord, he has given us the way of escape, the scriptures say. But you are not alone. The devil wants you to think you're alone so that you'll hide and never confess and never get out of it and never get support. You know, I'm the only one and I'm a total pervert and no, God will never forgive me. That's the enemy. The Lord wants you to know that it's been around since Genesis chapter 3. It's common to man. We need to acknowledge that it's real and it's sick. It's against his standards. We need to confess it and repent of it and move on in the holy life that he has for us. Be encouraged. You're not alone and there is hope for you today. You know, more money has been spent on pornography in America than that country music, rock music, rap music, jazz music, classical opera, ballets, and plays combined, It's the biggest religion with the greatest amount of dedicated followers. One man said, pornography is America's pastime. As more money is spent on pornography than professional basketball, baseball, and football, including the Super Bowl, all combined every year. It's a billion-dollar industry. 11,000 adult movies are made every year. That's 20 times the number of movies produced by mainstream Hollywood. There's 2.2 thousand strip clubs in America and nearly all of them generate $8 million a year in revenue. On the internet, the top word searched for is sex. Followed by porn, nude, playboy, and erotic stories within the top 20 search words. 70% of pornography traffic on the internet is between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. business days. What does that tell you people are doing with their work day? The business money, the tax money, the, the, you know, the, the resources of the computer and the internet privileges, they're all being used for people to worship their false pagan God of sexual pleasure. Places of business have become pagan temples, cubicles. Our little worship halls. The top research priority in the porn business is getting good quality porn to cell phones or mobile devices so that people can instantly access pornography and get their twisted desire anytime, anywhere. And all of this has led to a nation of sex addicts being brought under its power. You know, Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of anything. And yet even within the church today, there are people in this room and you've been brought under the power of sex. You've been worshiping the God of sex rather than the God of the scriptures. And today there's going to be freedom brought to you that you can partake of. Six to eight percent of Americans sexually addicted, probably about the same percent within the church, When you look at addiction, whether that be for food, which we are addicted to food. Most of us found that out this week. Am I correct? During this week of fasting, holy cow, food has owned my life. It's been my God. It's been my comfort. It's been what sustains me. And this week we've said, huh, uh, Lord, food doesn't sustain me. You sustain me. Or if we're addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, it's worshiping that thing rather than worshiping God addictions begin with tolerance and in this case we're going to look at sexual addiction but it can be applied across the board you tolerate these things that you know are wrong but you excuse yourself and you do it anyways when you partake and then you quit you have withdrawal syndromes you crave these things you get depressed you get desirous You begin to deceive yourself and find a way to make this act okay through deception, by lying to yourself. You come up with bizarre theological reasoning, such as, well, you know, in the Greek, pornea really means this, and you make stuff up. The church has, you know, brought gay and lesbian pastors into their church as leaders to excuse what they've done rather than to repent of what they've done. They've, they've created, we've created, you've created, catchphrases such as we are married in God's eyes. Well, when you read Revelation chapter one, you see that Jesus's eyes are as a flame of fire and he looks upon sin with a burning passion against it. But the good news is those flaming eyes are also burning with a flaming passion for you. So confess the sin, let him burn it away and let him pour out his love upon you. We excuse our sexual behavior that is outside of marriage by saying we are adults. We can handle it. We're over the age of 18. We say, ah, it's just a picture. It's just an image. It's completely harmless. We say, well, we're practically married or we're engaged. We say, I'm the exception. God doesn't know my past. And we take verses out of context. These are all lies. The addiction goes on to make that substance, such as sex, your functional savior. That one that is going to get you out of the tough circumstance, that one that is going to numb the pain, bring the joy, bring the rush. You're depressed, you're mad. Your marriage isn't what you want it to be. But you can go somewhere where it'll be just what you want it to be. It's your functional savior. It's what gets you by. It's what gets you through the day. Any addiction can be that. Today we're focusing on sex. And finally, planning for it all the time. Longing for it all the time. Frequent in use. Going deeper and deeper in degrees. Now it might start out with a YouTube video. Or a social networking site where you can browse pictures. Might be a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. Harmless. It's all part of the sports package that I'm getting. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and it will consume you. Your flesh is not satisfied with just a taste. Your flesh wants more. And if you keep giving it that, it's going to completely overtake you. It'll take you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It'll keep you there longer than you ever thought you'd stay there. It'll make you pay a price. It's more than you ever thought you'd pay. Sin leads to death and it grows until it overtakes. And sexual immorality, it's adultery. It's idolatry. It is choosing the passing pleasures of lust that can satisfy right here, right now, at my whim, at the appearance that I want, with the person that I want, rather than saying, Lord, you satisfy, you are fulfilling, you are valuable, and you and your judgments are lasting, much more lasting than this passing pleasure of sin. Let's look at Romans chapter one, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is just describing the depravity of man, the heart of man. And it leads into a list of sins that, in no means, is exhaustive, but that begins with sexual immorality. Romans 118, for the wrath, and I I want you to take your your pens and I want you to underline certain phrases that just describe our sin. And today we're just applying it to the sexual immorality that we're faced with. And I'll kind of emphasize my voice as we get to those things I want you to underline. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them for God has shown it to them. You have been shown God's standards of holiness and righteousness. There is no excuse for you. It's been shown for since the creation of the world, even his invisible attributes are clearly seeing being understood by the things that are made. That's you, even his eternal power and his Godhead so that they, man, we can just throw you in there. We can throw me in there. We are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but underline this became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. Think of Kinsey. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and 4 animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, and a list of sins to follow, including homosexuality, and disobedience to parents. It's all sin. And it all costs Jesus his life. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such thing are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so do not be deceived with sexual immorality. The Bible is extremely clear. And Romans chapter one is the icing on it where it says sexual immorality among other sins is the suppression of truth It's futile thinking. It's a darkening of the heart. It's foolishness. It's idolatry. It's lust of the heart. It's a dishonoring of the body. Verse 24. It's vile passions in verse 26. It's evidence of a debased mind. Verse 28. It's not fitting. It's not according to creation. Verse 29. It is unrighteousness. And verse 32. God will judge it. And he will be righteous in his judgments practicing sexual immorality is worshiping your body and nudity and pleasure over Jesus and it is a pathetic trade and you are being robbed look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7 We're told not to become idolaters or idol worships like the children of Israel. First Corinthians 7. do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Is God serious about our holiness and our purity? Is God serious in his hatred against sex outside of marriage of any shape, form, or kind? He's serious enough that 24,000 were killed. We're going to read the story of why in a second. That's over twice the population of Prineville dying in one day because they were having sex outside of marriage. Is God serious about sexual sin? Is God serious about purity? Ephesians chapter five, verse three says that fornication, pornea, and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. And you know, it is, we struggle, we stumble, we fall, it gets brought up. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about it was brought up as a man was sleeping with his stepmom and the church in Corinth was all happy about it. And we're just so open-minded and isn't that great? They love each other. They have such a relationship and oh, look, peace and love and judge not, judge not. And Paul rebukes them and says, do I need to come to you Corinthian church with a rod? What are you doing for the good of the person that's in sin for the good of the body of Christ and for the good of the name of Jesus, you discipline that person in love and you get rid of that sin. Get rid of it. If it's named among us, we get rid of it. Some of you that are young and heck even in this economy, there's a lot of questions out there. What is the will of God for my life? People wonder that. What's the will of God? What am I going to do when I grow up? You know, what school am I going to go to? What career am I going to choose? Where am I going to move and practice that career? Who am I going to marry? How many kids am I going to have? What kind of house do you want? Why picket fence? What kind of pets do you want? What's the will of God for my life? And even what ministry should I be a part of? Lord, what are your giftings on my life? Whatever it is, I can tell you today with absolute assurance what the will of God is for your life. And that should excite you. You should get your pens out. And we should, we should figure out what this is. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three tells us. First Thessalonians four, three, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, sanctification speaks of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once you are saved and born again, the Holy Spirit comes within you and gives you the power and begins a work in your life to depart from the old ways that you used to live in before Christ your old ways, your old desires, your old habits, your old practices. And it doesn't all happen at one time. The day you get saved, it's all over. You're a perfect person with no problems whatsoever and no struggles and no sin. But it's a process that the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life for the rest of your life. And it begins the day that he takes out your heart of flesh and or takes out your heart of stone and places within you a heart of flesh You're sanctified. And that is the will of God that you put those things away from you and that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What's the will of God for my life? I'll tell you this. If you're in a sexual relationship right now of any kind, whether it's with a computer or with a magazine or with a video or a channel or anything like that, or another person, a friend with benefits, whatever it might be, you are outside of the will of God and don't expect God's going to hear your prayers or work anything out in your life until you get rid of that. That is the foundation that you're born again and that the Holy Spirit's sanctifying you, helping you to abstain from sexual immorality. Philip's paraphrase puts it like this, that abstaining means make a clean cut from all sexual immorality, make a clean cut from it. You know, sorry, Loretta, but first service. Oh, she's not here. First service I was talking about, of course she's not here. First service talking about Loretta James and how this week she had to have her gallbladder taken out. Well, a month ago, her husband Frank had to have his gallbladder taken out. So we were joking when we were in the hospital, like, hey, you should get them both in jars and put them up on the bookshelf, you know? And, and they were talking about how the doctor was like, oh yeah, man, it was like dead and it was just horrible, you know? And man, it's so good that we made that clean cut and got it out of you. You are going to live so much more healthily now. It's the same with our sin. If that dead, decaying, corrupt organ of sin stays within us, it is going to putrefy within us and we are going to die because of that sin. But if by the power of the Holy Spirit, we allow Jesus to cut off that sin from us and take it away from us, we are separated from that sin to put it on a jar on a shelf and to laugh at it later on in life what fruit did I have from that past life? Absolutely nothing. And look what I have in Jesus. I was such a fool walking in those vile passions. He goes on to say in first Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, to a culture that's, that had sex around them just as much as we do. And that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. A fruit of the Holy Spirit being in our lives is that we have self-control, that we know how to possess our eyes, our mouths, our ears, our hands, other members of our body. We know how to possess them. Maybe we don't know, but the Holy Spirit's helping us to. Man, I I haven't been doing anything, but God has been working in me such a purity that I can't look at anything or hear anything. It just disgusts me. My members are now used for Christ. Later on, we're going to just say, man, should I take those members and join them to a harlot? Certainly not. Know how to possess your own vessel in that sanctification and in an honorable way. Verse five, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, like the porn stars, like the movie stars, like your friend at work. They don't know God and they don't know how to take care of of their their body, their vessels, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of just, as we also, uh, avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. So what is it when you're sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? When you're having an affair When you're looking at that image, you are taking advantage of another person and you are defrauding another person. You're hindering and hurting that woman's marriage someday. If you're not married now, that's a hindrance. That's harmful. And you're hindering and hurting your own marriage someday. You're hurting that woman's future husband. You're hurting yourself. You're defrauding them. You don't love them. You're thinking of yourself. And God will judge it. He's the avenger of all such. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Verse 8, therefore he who rejects us does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. If you don't like this today, do not get upset with me. Although I stand on the word of God and you can get mad at me if you want, but really you need to take it up with God. This is his word and you can take it up with him. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with Jesus and he loves you and he wants what's best for you. You can flip over to numbers chapter 25, verse one. In chapter 24, the children of Israel coming up through the land of Balak and Balak sees that they're great in number. He's a king of the Midianites and he sees that the children of Israel are going to hurt his kingdom. So he hires or attempts to hire Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel. And every time, it's a great story, you ought to read it. Every time Balaam comes and tries to curse the children of Israel, God can only cause blessing to come out of his mouth multiple times. He's only able to bless the Lord and bless the children of Israel and just ticking off Balak. And we have insight in Revelation chapter two, that although Balaam wasn't able to curse Israel for God forbid it, he was able to say to Balak, hey, I can't curse Israel, but here's what I can tell you. Take your women down in the midst of the men of Israel And draw the men in to to commit harlotry. To have sex with these women. and And get them to worship the gods of the Midianites. To worship Balaam. And that's how you'll destroy the children. And so Numbers chapter chapter 25, verse one, Israel remained in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice to their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And man, no surprise that every time there's sexual immorality, there's idolatry. So Israel was joined to Baal. I know I said Balaam for it's Baal, false god of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all of the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal, a Peor. And indeed, this is where it gets good. Indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren, a Midianite woman, a prostitute in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. I mean, picture this people are being executed and hung for the sexual morality and people are weeping because of the death. And they're at the really the entrance of the church of that day. And they're weeping. And this guy just comes cruising along with Midianite woman and opens the door to his tent and says, go on in. There's a dude in there waiting for you. In the midst of everybody. In verse seven, now when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel and into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel and those who died in the plague were 24,000. You say, woo, Phineas. Gotta love that guy. Zeal for the Lord zeal for his holiness man he didn't know it but a little bit later jesus was gonna say man if your eye or your hand causes you to sin then cut it off or pluck it out because it's better for you to go into heaven without an eye or a hand than to go to hell with it take drastic measures to get out of and to get rid of sin in your life and phineas did it in the midst of the, in the midst of the congregation, just goes and grabs a javelin and right in front of everybody kills these fornicators And so how do we kill fornication in our midst and in our lives as it just grabs hold like a tumor and sucks life out of us? How can Christians go about breaking free from the bondage of sexual sin? What is the answer to the dilemma? I'm going to give you 12 things, but the number one thing is the number one thing. And everything else is a trickle down from that. Become a Christian and worship the creator rather than the creation. Be born again. Be regenerate. Jeremiah chapter 31 tells us that I will take away that heart of stone where you're rebelling against the commandments of the Lord and I will put in you a heart of the flesh and you will know God. You'll be born again. And Jesus told Nicodemus that unless a man is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. Number two, live out that new life, that regenerated heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Flip to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Grieved this week as a young man came in and just, you know, struggling with obeying teachers and parents and authority in his life. I just love this little guy, you know, and and just, man, pray for him and love him and understand, man, he might struggle with that. I struggle with other stuff. Little 11-year-old boy, and I said, dude, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And we read this about the power of the Holy Spirit making it possible. And he said, there's no Holy Spirit. And mom just said, oh, you know, I don't think they teach the Holy Spirit at his church. And I said, man, that is tragic because I would not be able to go one day without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I would not be able to go one hour in obedience or in serving the Lord or in being a testimony of Christ or loving my wife or being nice to my kids without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we teach the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He is God. He's not a force. He is a person who has feelings and can be grieved by sin. But he also can give us power to walk in holiness. And in Galatians chapter five, verse 16 says, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. By the way, the spirit is a lot stronger And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That speaks of sexual uncleanness and lewdness, idolatry and a whole bunch of other things. And at the end of verse 21, it says that those who practice, it says, I told you before, and I'm telling you now, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are you telling me, Rory? If I continue to practice sex outside of marriage, I'm going to hell? Or I've lost my salvation or I've left my salvation? All I'm telling you is those who practice these things, not to mention the list, the other stuff, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is in the life of a born again Christian is love and it is joy and it is peace and long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such There's no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. If you're practicing these things, you're either a Christian in a rebellion, or you've never truly been born again in the first place. And you might be asking yourself, How am I supposed to walk in the spirit? How am I supposed to be led by the spirit for the next 11 years? I'm single. I've got these cravings and these desires of the flesh and, you know, and, and man, I I could be 12, 15 years before I get married. I don't even know a girl. I don't know a guy. I love what Elizabeth Elliot said, the wife of the, the martyr, Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot said, you only have to stay pure for 60 seconds at a time that's it. Whether that's drug use, alcoholism, gluttony, you name it, sexual addiction, you only have to stay pure 60 seconds in a minute. Just take it one minute, one minute, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit, step by step, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time there's a temptation, cry out, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, provide the way of escape. Jesus, empower me by your Holy Spirit walk in the power of the Holy spirit. Number three, put your sexual sin to death. Romans 8, 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. How do you put to death the deeds of the flesh? How do you put to death? How do you cut off sexual immorality by the spirit by the spirit, not by making a bunch of rules for yourself that you're really going to commit to following this time. And I promise, God, I really promise. I've never been more dedicated. I'm going to do it. I, 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 that's the root word there. We need to take it from I to you. You will do it, Jesus. You've already done it on the cross. And I will walk in the victory that you've won for me there at Calvary. Colossians 3, 5, you've got to put to death your members on the earth. And fornication is the first thing that he lists. As Phineas put to death, with the spear. So we must put to death. As Jesus says, cut off the hand and pluck out the eye. We must cut off the internet in our room or place a filter or an accountability program like Covenant Eyes. And you can go to covenanteyes.com and you can just download it in two seconds. And all of a sudden you've got this program on your computer that sends every website you've gone to, to a partner, to a friend who loves you and is for you and will encourage you and will help you in this battle. Or burn, or beat with a baseball bat, or whatever it is that you've got to do, but you cut that thing off and you be violent with it and you say, Don't ever come back. Because flesh, you do not rule. The Spirit of God rules in my life. Number four, wash your mind and renew your mind with the Word. Again, this is all trickle down from being a child of God. You've been born again and you love the Word because He's put that desire in you. Be in the Word. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? How's that possible? You young man, you know how this is such a struggle. How's that possible? By taking heed according to the word of God, by obeying the word of God. Two verses later in 119.11, your word, God, I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man, get these verses, get my notes from me, put them all, memorize them. And every time you're struggling, You just quote these verses and use them as the sword of the spirit that they are. John chapter 17 verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, Lord, he's praying for us. He says, Lord, I don't desire that you move them from the world, but that you keep them from the wicked one. And then he goes on to say, sanctify them by your truth, set them apart from those old ways and desires by your truth. Your word is truth. How are we sanctified by the spirit and by the sword of the spirit? Your word is truth. Number five. Agree with his standard of morality also the last verse of the longest chapter in the bible psalm 119 says this My flesh trembles in fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments In other words, I agree with your verdicts lord Your verdict is that sex outside of marriage is wrong and it will destroy And you're not trying to rob my fun lord, but you're trying to protect me and I agree with your standard of morality this is what it says. And this is what I will do. I agree with your judgments. Hebrews chapter 13, four, uh, verse four says, marriage is honorable among all. Don't you love that? Marriage is so honorable. And the marriage bed is undefiled. There's such a purity on the marriage bed, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Agree with God's standard of morality. And no, there's a judgment for Disobedience. Number six, understand the depth of your sin and confess it as David did in Psalm 51. As he says, Lord, and this whole Psalm is beautiful. He says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. I confess my sin before you. Wash me and purge me with hyssop. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Read that Psalm and confess your sin just as David did. You don't even have to read it. Just confess your sin before the Lord and he will be faithful to forgive you. Number seven, live as a new person with a new mind because you've been given one. Number eight, make no provision for the flesh. As we've said, cut it off. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you're stumbling with, break up. If it's someone you're living with, get out. If it's the internet connection, disconnect. Disconnect if it's a channel, get rid of it. Whatever it is, get rid of it. When you cut off that hand, it's gone. Old friend of mine says that time plus opportunity equals trouble. If you got nothing but time to sin and nothing but opportunity to sin, holy cow, I'm in a whole bunch of trouble. But man, if you get rid of that opportunity, I don't even have the internet anymore or I've got the accountability partner and, and she reads everything I've got or he reads everything I've got. It's not even a problem. Then you might have a whole bunch of time to get yourself in trouble, but nothing to get yourself in trouble with. Time plus opportunity equals trouble. Number nine, run to Jesus, your sympathetic high priest before you sin. And we also often run to him after we sin. You know, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says our high priest, Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness. He was tempted in all points. We are even in sexual ways. And yet he didn't sin. Therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and he will be uh, merciful and gracious in our time of need, but come to him when you're struggling with the temptation, not afterwards. Number 10, walk in the light with your church and with your brothers and your sisters Number 11 flee temptation just as Joseph fled Potiphar's wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man done is outside of his body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We've been bought with a price. Our body's not ours anymore but it's it's God so glorify God with your body. He says flee sexual immorality. Just like Joseph day after day after day was tempted to come lie with Potiphar's wife the queen practically of Egypt. Day after day she was attracted to him and finally one day she grabbed a hold of his garment and said lie with me. And he said, "How can I do this great wickedness against my Lord?" And he turned away and he ran with such force with such an action that was strong and hard to pin down that the robe ripped off of his body as he ran away and he ran away naked. Does that even begin to compare with the way we flee our temptations? Hebrews says you haven't even begun to resist to the point of bloodshed. You really haven't been trying. Lord, by the power of the spirit, give us the strength to resist. Number 12, pursue a satisfying marriage when you're ready. What do I do with this sexual struggle? Well, God has made marriage available because sex is a beautiful thing within marriage. But if you've been a sex addict, don't just go looking for a wife. She's not going to heal that. It's a sin issue. You need to get right with God. You need to have healing and a sufficient amount of time to be walking in the light and walking in purity and walking in a right mind before you get married. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5 is just a beautiful chapter on even that. 13, I guess I have 14 things for you. Uh, have your spouse as your standard of beauty. Just as when Adam was presented with Eve, he said, This, ha ha, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, Whoa, man. You know, that was his standard of beauty. And, husbands, your wife is your standard of beauty. Whatever age she is, that is your standard of beauty. Whatever physical body shape she might be having, that is your standard of beauty. And you can say, Whoa, man. But when you start looking to outside sources as the standard of beauty, you're in sin. You've missed the mark. Your wife is to be your standard of beauty. Number 14, repent quickly, Stuart, and you guys can come on up, repent quickly and keep fighting. If you fall, if you stumble, you confess it before the Lord, you confess it to a brother so that there's healing and you keep going. A righteous man, the word tells us, falls seven times a day and yet rises again. God is so gracious and God is so merciful. But keep fighting. Peter tells us that this sexual morality, it's a war against our soul. And Ephesians tells us, put on the whole armor of God. Man, every day, put on the helmet of salvation. Lord, guard my mind against condemnation. Guard my mind from what comes into it. The breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth that I wouldn't lie to myself about this stuff this worldliness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit that I can combat the temptations with the Word of God and the shield of faith that I believe that His standards are righteous. And having done all to stand, Paul tells us, Stand, therefore. It's not about you doing that checklist of, man, I'm really going to try. It's about saying, I can't do it, Lord. Every minute, I can't do it, Lord. But you've already won the victory for me at the cross and I want to walk in that. And so today as we just close in this song, that Savior, you can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. You have a mountain in your life of sexual immorality and addiction and struggle. And I encourage you to cast that before the Lord to allow him to regenerate your heart and your mind, to fill you with your spirit that you can have power I think there's some here that maybe this last week you didn't participate in the fast and the Lord would call you this week to fast from these things that are just avenues for the flesh to creep in and anything that you might say I don't know maybe it's wrong the Lord will say for sure it's wrong and he will take away that taste and that appetite Maybe for some of you today, the first day of your life, you are going to stand and say, Lord Jesus, I need to be born again. I need a new heart. And he will give it the second you confess that. You confess, Lord, I need the indwelling of your Holy Spirit that I could be obedient. Lord, help me walk in the Spirit every 60 seconds, Lord. Help me, Lord. And as we sing, let's repent. Let's repent that we've bought into the lies of the world rather than the truth of the scriptures of what sexual immorality is. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.